so, back to Ephesians. We were those formerly who walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, this spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were enslaved to this wicked spirit. It's working in the sons of disobedience. Isaiah chapter 30 says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. I want you to look at a few words here. Notice he uses the word now, first of all. Now working in the sons of disobedience. Presently, if you're not a Christian, you, this is what is happening inside of you if you're not regenerated. This is what's working. The word working is energia. It's a powerful, effectual working. And he says, in us, it points to that intimate relationship. They have no regard for the word of God or his holy will, and therefore they are sons of disobedience, Paul says. Again, quoting Peter from chapter 1, verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. See, now this is a... Speaking of our past, now we want to walk as obedient children. We don't want to be conformed to the world and to its ways, Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2. But we want to walk according to God's ways. Well, the third thing he mentions here is we were enslaved by lust and desires of the flesh. See that in verse 3. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. I want you to notice in verse 2, the beginning, it says, in which you formerly walked. In verse 3, it's in which you formerly lived. Walk is speaking of our personal walk with the Lord, okay? It's, it's, It's how we conduct our lives, more of an individually thing. Living speaks more of our social surroundings, how we engage with other people. And so again, it's all inclusive. And the encouragement for believers is that this is all a part of our past. The first he talks about lust, living in the lust of the flesh. Well, the word lust means to have a strong desire for, not exclusively used for evil, but predominantly used for evil in the Bible. Most often an inordinate craving, um, oftentimes of a sexual immorality, a sexual nature and that type of thing, but not exclusively. It's a desire, a strong desire. And then the second word he uses, the NAS translates his desires. It's, it's the word will, and it means seeking about with great diligence, with strong willfulness. And so the, fle- the, the lust and desires of what? He says the flesh. And the flesh in the Bible speaks of our, our sinful nature. As one of the lexicons says, it's, it's all the parts of the body that constitute the totality of what is dominated by sin. The flesh, Paul refers to in Romans chapter 7, and in that great chapter where he's talking about the tension of the flesh and the spirit, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. See, the flesh is the, the old Kurt. It's the old man. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You've been renewed. You, you have new desires. You have a new daytime or a new agenda to glorify the Lord. But the reality is, as we drag this corpse around with us everywhere we go until we get to glory, we have to contend with the flesh and that tension of the flesh and the spirit. Even though we're dragging this corpse, sometimes it'll try to rustle us into a certain direction and we need to resist that by the grace of God. So in verse 3, he goes on, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The mind. The mind are those impulses in which come in. Sometimes Satan shoots these little darts into our mind, and, and sin can begin in the mind thinking. And, and it's a, a, it, it speaks of a complete disregard to the will of God. Moving away from God and rejecting the truth of God. Well, having looked at the fact that we are dead, having looked at those three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, at the very end of verse 3, he says, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You were under God's wrath and condemnation. Your your nature springs from the depravity of your own heart. You were his enemy. You were opposed to all of his ways. And David in Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This applies to all men. It gets back to what we talked about with Adam. We are descendants of Adam. And David was the descendant of Adam. And so he could say that even at the stage of conception, there was sin in the fiber of his being. This applies to all men indiscriminately, regardless of race and nation and background and and upbringing. And you know what? Did anybody have to teach you how to sin? Did anybody? Now, yeah, there was manifestations of trying to, you know, being bad influence and all of that. But the reality is it is within our very nature to sin. The wickedness that we practice was not only from externals, the wrong set of friends, but the very essence of who we are. And let me try to prove that to you. Those of you who are parents, maybe grandparents, um, if you don't remember your own children, you see it in your grandchildren. But do you have to teach a two-year-old to just pitch a fit and scream and wail and kick and throw? No, it comes naturally. When that two-year-old is not getting his way, he responds oftentimes in a manifestation of sin. And this whole idea that there's some age of innocence and little Billy just doesn't know what he's doing, just give him another candy bar or something, is, is for the birds. He's a sinner. He was conceived in sin. I mean, Paul is so clear. I was going to read this for our scripture reading But you can read it later, Romans 3, there are none righteous, not even one. In case you don't understand what the word none means, he specifies and amplifies, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks after God. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. What does Paul mean by the word wrath? It's such a strong word. Does he really mean to use that word? Was it a slip of the ink? No, he means to use that word very clearly. Wrath speaks of a holy hatred of sin. 
and a determination to punish that sin. One man, one lexicon called it a settled indignation. That's what the wrath of God is, a settled indignation. In Romans 9, Paul would say, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? See, this terminology is used in the Bible, vessels of wrath. And his wrath is a manifestation of his power being known. He says, even as the rest, unless supernatural grace comes to anyone and crushes the pride of our sinful hearts and changes the way of our disobedience and our willful disobedience and our willful rebellion to God, supernatural grace and supernatural power needs to change that course that we're going on. Unless that comes, this is our present description of who we are. In Romans chapter 1, I've made reference to it earlier, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." 